0: Welcome to From the Resort Podcast episode 35, a very special one today. We had all of the Mayor candidates uh, for the Queenstown Lakes District election for Mayor, which is uh, less than six weeks away. And uh, we had all six of them in the same room for the first time, it was great. So there were six six candidates, so it's going to be very interesting to see who the Mayor is. Well, I've already interviewed three on the podcast as you know, Olivia Wensley. I've interviewed Glenn Lewis and John Mitchell, and also in the future, looking to to um, interview uh, Nita Sheet and sorry, Nita our um, Angus, and also Daniel Shand. Um, so a series of about six minutes, six minutes each. Canada got to speak about their vision in a way, or whatever they wanted to talk about for six minutes, and then there were questions. We went for over half an hour, going back and forth. Uh, very well run by Stuart McLean. He did a fantastic job. So, thanks very much, Stuart. Uh, it was really well written and I hope you enjoy this episode.
1: Thank you. Will be Nita Chidi. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Second will be John Mitchell. Third will be Olivia Wensley. Fourth will be Al Angus. Fifth. Fourth. Sorry, fourth is Gwyn Lewis. I got that wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes we'll be fifth. You've already stood it out so uh, it's you. good to get somebody out of the water isn't it and <laughs> six of course is Daniel Shan. <laughs> now the format of the evening will be that uh, each candidate will get six minutes to speak they'll get a warning bell at five minutes and complete their uh, their uh, address in the six minute period so uh, they'll be given a, a, a pretty pretty uh, Definite gong at the end if they want to go over the over the six minutes. We will take our questions at the conclusion of all speakers having spoken, and the time for the answer for the question will be one minute for each candidate. They will again be given the a warning bell. So uh, that's how that's how we prepare uh, prepare to uh, run the uh, meeting tonight. And uh, I think without any further ado, we should be calling on uh, the first speaker, who of course is uh, Leader Shetty, for her six minutes.
2: I'm not going to speak for six minutes. <laughs> That's too long. Um, my dad used to belong to the Rotary Club in Mumbai. So I feel like I've come to the circle being here. Um, Kia ora, my name is Nita, and I'm standing for mayor, QLDC and councillor for the Ayrton Covering War. I have put my name in for two positions. Sorry, can you hear me now? Can you hear me now? Yes. Um, I have put my name in uh, for two positions because I absolutely believe that we need a community voice at this time for our region. Firstly, let me start by saying how honored I am to be here because I do recognize how much the Rotary Club does for our communities and that's incredible. I'm here as a parent, a business owner, and a passionate community member. I have experience working at the council in many different councils Uh, In many different roles and in many different departments, actually. My reason for standing is because I believe our community and our businesses need to be at the center of our decision making process if we want to protect what's important to us. I'm entirely committed to accountability and transparency because that's the only way we can build public trust. Queenstown is my home. We've had businesses here since 2001, but i permanently moved here in 2006. Living in this inclusive, generous community has been cathartic. I've got two children. My son owns, studies medicine at Otago University and wants to be a surgeon. And my daughter is a head at QPS and is excited to go to Rakhataka High next year. As a parent and a business owner, I am very involved with our school and sports activities. And the volunteering for all of these activities sure does feel good. And as a parent, I have also seen the influence that Rotary Club has on our schools, because my son has been a benefactor of those awards. And it also provides a great opportunity for our young generation to know what community service is all about and being involved in community service and so the influence that you have on the schools is absolutely incredible. The Rotary Club has set a benchmark on how initiatives, whether big or small, influence our community. Being engaged with our community, cultivating and elevating our people is my way of leading by example. I thank you all for inviting me and letting me be part of your event. And I do hope that I take this opportunity and start being more involved with the community through the
1: Rotary Club. Namie. Thank you, Peter. Uh, that was uh, short and sharp. Yes, sir. Uh, the next speaker is uh, John Mitchell. <laughs>
2: I was going to do? Yeah. Oh, you need a drink when I talk
3: to sure, you Great, break. That's overconfidence. Can you hear me down the back? Just just A little bit higher. How about that? Thank you. Right, I'm John Mitchell. I was born in Queenstown and what is now the iconic year of nineteen sixty four. They've even made a magazine about it. Not about me, about nineteen sixty. Uh, my parents. Uh, so it's great uh, being in this room, actually, seeing so many familiar faces. Um, some near to the era that my parents were. So they came to Queenstown in the late 50s and started a series of tourism businesses here. They had the first retail tourism, uh, retail photography business down on Beach Street, where Helen Steiner is now. We lived in a little uh, turn of the previous century California bungalow front of that is their photographic shop and our backyard is now third bakery. So I've seen a lot of change over the last, and I had to write it down the other day, 58 years, yeah. Um, yeah, I've seen a lot of change. Some of that change has been for good. It's been really good. We have much better services here than we did then. We have a better range of schools available. We actually have public transport. Doesn't turn up as often as it should do and um, we have some issues with it. We can do that much better. Um, but there are some things where the change has not been as positive. And in particular, uh, the over-reliance that we have uh, built for ourselves on international mass tourism. We need to uh, diversify our economy away from that. Still have tourism as the base of what we do, because people still want to come here, and we certainly did, or our forebears did. So we need to make the most of that, but we need to do it differently. Right? Um, I do disaster management as a day job, and I've been doing that along with local government for about 25 years now. I started in Central Otago in 1997, working in local government, and just chatting with um, some other winemakers at the back. Steve Green was the chief executive there then. He was um, he was inspirational as a leader, and he was also setting up Carrick Winery at the time. It was a really special time for me. Um, Queenstown Lakes. Is experiencing a series of crises. One is the COVID crisis and the response to it that we're all having to live through. And so many of you have had leadership roles in that response, either in your families or your businesses or your communities. So thank you for the work that you do. Um, What we don't have in QLUC is a recovery plan out of COVID. We need to develop one. That's what I do develop, particularly economic, community development, and disaster recovery contexts. We have a crisis of confidence and reputation in the council itself. The community has some issues with trust in relation to some of the decisions council and managers have made over the last few years. I cut my teeth on cultural and organizational change at crony Peak and Remarkables in the early 90s where I spent three seasons running lift operations and had about 200 staff with me over those three years. One of the cool things about the ski industry is that you can Reinvent the company each summer, if you want to, and we certainly did. We took what well, was Ski Operations from a transport company to a high-quality ski recreation experience business, much as it is today. So that's the sort of stuff that I enjoy doing, and I've been doing it around the world for the last 25 years. We've got other crises as well. One is a financial crisis. Some of you may not know that in 2025. The council will hit borrowing cap with the current expenditure that we have and we've got other issues that are going to be arising over the next few years. We need to make some hard decisions about some of the investment that's currently planned for the communities in Queenstown Lakes to be able to make sure that our communities and our environment are protected. We reset our economy so it's more resilient for the future, but we're going to have to make some hard decisions and I'm here to help you make those decisions because we need to have the community Business leaders, community leaders, non government organisations. Be uh, we involved in making decisions much more than has been the case in the last few terms of council. We need to have the community and the environment at the centre of all that the local authority does here. Uh, we also have crises in relation to the congestion that we're experiencing and it's just getting worse. We need to do, have smart solutions to public transport with technology that is currently available for quick solutions. And we need to work closely with our partner agencies to make that happen. I'm sorry I wasn't here last week. I know Stuart was working really hard to get this happening. Uh, but I was working in Wellington, as I do occasionally, uh, on a project for the Department of Environment and where we build teams of teams in crisis situations. So that's what I was doing last week. We need to do that within the council, to bring the new council, which will be mostly new, with some really talented people who are going to be there, to be able to govern effectively for all of you
4: into the future. Thank you. We still have
1: a minute to go, John. Oh, you said you were going to ring at the end.
3: (laughs) Right. Great, thank you. I'll I'll just take just a few more seconds. Okay. Thanks, Dave. Yeah, so one thing I want to do is make the most of the leadership there is in our communities. And so there's much of it in this room here. So through the campaign, we've all had opportunities to meet some really interesting leaders. We have talent in our communities that isn't currently being tapped. We need to make the most of that. The best decisions for our communities aren't made around the council table, they're made in partnership with leaders in our communities. So I'm looking forward to working with you to achieve that. Thanks.
1: Just remind the, the remaining candidates that it's a warning ballot, five minutes, and you've still got a minute to go. So uh, uh, the next one up is... <laughs> <laughs> Olivia. Olivia. Yes. And don't forget, if you've got some questions, just keep them till the end, and you will be given the opportunity to ask each individual, or you can uh, actually ask for the whole sex at once to give an answer. So uh, there we are. Trust you all understand now the rules. I haven't made them too difficult, I hope, (laughs) Uh, and uh, we trust you're going to enjoy the rest of the of the the evening.
5: you. Right. Um, most of you here probably know me already, but for those new Rotarians, I'm Olivia Wednesday. It's great to be back and see so many familiar faces. I've just speaking with my husband Greg before. It's been nine years since we first got involved with Rotary here in Queenstown, and we started in AG. Nine years.
2: Mm-hmm.
5: We had some wonderful events, including starting the beach cleanup, which is still going to this day. We used to run the duck race, which is fantastic memories. We raised a lot of money for a lot of wonderful charities. I still get roped into the duck race every year by eternity. (laughs) I can't get away from the duck race. So, the ducks at the moment, the ducks have had a really hard time, the ducks got stuck in Shanghai lockdown, so the ducks have been lost in transit since April, but they are on their way now, so we will have ducks for a duck race very soon. We've got a strong tradition of Rotary in my family, Um, I'm Greg's family, Uh, Ross is a a proud Rotary for a very long time, Raywin is an inner wheel member my mother's Rotary and I was honoured to be made an honorary Inner Wheel member by Monica P when, in in, when when, you are leading it. So that's the last time I spoke actually, was when I came and uh, spoke to Inner Wheel about Gloria Bell.
2: Now we don't have two hours, so I'm not going to go into that story,
5: <laughs> but um, we had a really good outcome, sorry I was going to put. Oh, good. We had a really good outcome. I, I, Some of you who were at the Inner Wheel meeting and I spoke about were about how we've been working for six years to try and save a woman who I met when she was 15. Really good news. In November, I was able to get her out of there, her and her mother. Her mother came out for a little bit, but they used the greatest needs fund. So these are women that were very, very badly. Affected, they each had about five serious medical issues each, and that greatest needs funding to that. So that was really awesome to see that in action. So thank you to everyone who donated to that. Right. So the time before that, the last time I spoke at Rotary was actually about the change that I brought about in the legal profession. So I did a lot of work bringing about huge cultural change, which has resulted in legislation changing. So that's just an example of leadership. True leadership, we stand up and make change. Stand up for what uh, you believe in. So, I think as a qualification, being a lawyer has really served me well, and I think it's a very important qualification to have as a mayor. But here I am today, in front of you yet again, talking about why. Why would I want this job? Why would anyone want this job? <laughs> but why do I want this job? In my current role, I have been CEO of Startup Queenstown Labs, I've been working for almost three years. We are part of the council, but independently set up as a charitable trust. So I work very closely with the council of economic development team. Two weeks after I took this new role, COVID hit, and my organisation became the ambulance at the bottom of the cliff, because all of a sudden, we had to diversify and everybody's businesses were in terrible shape and so we were helping hundreds, actually probably thousands of people with their businesses helping them recover through COVID and helping them, giving them guidance, resources and that was just such an incredible time to see the resilience and strength of of the people in our region. It was at that time after that, a really interesting upside to COVID happened. We started getting people moving to our region, talent coming to our region. I kept running into people and then ask where they're from and they're saying, Oh, we moved here from Silicon Valley. This kept happening. I like, was calling them Silicon Valley refugees. They, they they're flooding here. And why? I mean we all know why. It's the most amazing place to live here. So it made me realise that was the light bulb moment. I was like, actually we're so much more than a great place to live I had a great place to visit, we are a great place to live. And we need to be doubling down on that. So I'm already doing the work. I can hit the ground running because this is the most important thing that we're facing, is this need for economic diversification. I've really got all the contacts. I know exactly where we need to go. I'm doing the work already. Uh, and that's why I'm running for Mia, because I want to create amazing opportunities for the next generation. I want our kids, the next generation, your kids and grandkids, to be able to have jobs here where they don't have to leave, where they can earn really great money yeah, and that's the reality, it's happening already. I had a call with Facebook a few weeks ago and they want to set up an office here. So it's those kind of connections and work that I'm doing already, but being here, I can really take it to that next level. I'm really worried as a rate with some of the things that are going on in the council. I'm very, very concerned about Three borders. I'm the first candidate to actually speak out openly against it. Need that now. also openly against three quarters. Anyone who can understand and read that bill knows that it's going to be a disaster. We need someone who's truly independent. That's not going to be swayed politically. We need someone who's going to stand up for local democracy. We need to keep decision making here. Councils forgotten that they serve ratepayers. They need to serve us, and, and it's gone the other way. And As a rate payer, I'm getting really frustrated with how they're spending money on consultants, spending it like it's not their money, because it's not, it's ours. We need to be doing so much better than that, and I understand that accountability, transparency, it's very hard to get real information from council. You have to pay to get official information out, which is wrong. So that's my thing. Thanks very much, everyone.
1: here into the time. Uh, that's good. And uh, now the next speaker will be uh, Glyn Lewis. All yours. Thank you Stuart. Uh, hello, I'm
6: Glenn Lewis and I'm running for the Mayoralty team of QLBC. So who would have thought a 44 year old rural Northland boy would turn up in the deep south to be running for the mayor. I think it just goes to show that the opportunities in this district immense uh, and, and I'm going to, ta- um, and I'm very proud to be able to take that opportunity, and stand in front of you and talk to you today. So, I'm a father of two. I've got one work at Waikato High, and another at Our uh, Remarkables Primary School. I'm a uh, junior rugby coach. I've been coaching junior rugby here in Waikato for the last eight years. I've, uh, just finished the season with the Under 14 Waikato High School. I was the uh, chairman of the Franklin Community Association for four years and a committee member for six. I'm um, a current board member of Destination Queenstown uh, in my fourth year now and also a board member of startup Queenstown Lakes. I've also been your councillor for the last three years. So, um, my professional background actually started off as a uh, pilot in the uh, Royal New Zealand Air Force. Um, it was quite interesting to hear that you actually send young young uh, kids to basic training. It sort of gave me shivers. And I was thinking of doing that when I was 19, uh, 18 when I did that. Um, you do come out as a professional janitor. I can tell you that you do know how to clean the floor and you do know how to scrub a shoe. Um, after that I um, did officers training for three months. That was uh, an intensive leadership course where I got to lead some uh, grizzled, 20-year-old military veterans. You certainly learned about different leadership styles and how to bring out the best in each individual. It was um, it was a very big growth period for me personally. And then obviously the parachute training, global training, and then the pilot training. Um, didn't quite get through pilot training, and then asked. If I would want to be a navigator, and then I decided probably get frustrated sitting behind a pilot for the next 20 years, so I decided I'd get a surveying degree of all things at a Union. Uni. So I did a land surveying degree, um, became a licensed international surveyor, worked in New Zealand for a while, and then went overseas to and to work with BHP. So when I was at BHP, I was a project uh, manager, and they said if I wanted to be a project manager. I had to be an engineer. So they sent me to engineering, and I did an engineering degree while still working full time, but they paid for it, so you couldn't really complain. So the two young kids came back. Uh, my uh, children's is all from down here, so we came back for family reasons. Um, and I have been a practicing sort of, uh, structural engineer for the last 10 years here in Queenstown. So that's my background. Why am I standing for Mayor? One, I have a real passion for local government. You don't do this for the money, I can tell you that now. You've got to have a high, rather thick, but I have a real passion for it because we do make a difference and we do affect the um, affect people's lives and it is the most rewarding uh, thing that can be done. Um, it does fill my cup and uh, that service, um, I think that goes back to me for days, is, um, It it does drive me. Um, I really want to put this council with the community at the heart. As you can see, I've I've got a history of uh, being involved with this community, and I know that this community can provide the best answers to the problems we face. And I know there is immense talent in this district. With all my um, board memberships in this area, I see that every day and I want to enhance that so we can solve these problems that we have. So I want to be community-led, not consultant-led. I do feel uh, under COVID, we have been consultant-led, and I want to put that aside and drive that community-led decision-making. I also want to have a focus on making these, our CBD streets safer. I think we've uh, taken our eye off the ball here as a council. I think we've got our hospitality uh, Romans a little bit incorrect and not allowing and freeing up the spaces outside to have that passive observation, lighting up our um, CBDs on both sides of the hill so we can interact and still have that passive observation and uh, have a more friendly and engaging CBD. I really want to uh, engage and get Queenstown back to a vibrant, charming place that it once was not with road cones. So that's that's the main one for me. But I really want to also focus on social infrastructure. We've looked at hard infrastructure for the last three years, and this is where I'm talking about mental health, health services, um, counselling services, and encouraging NGOs into here, in this area, and that's what we're doing right now with the Wattletipper um, Hub. We are looking at land behind the Crown, and I really want to focus that to go here. So community-led, community-driven, and next one's going for be people.
1: Everybody's sick within the time of restrictions. Uh, they must
2: be scared of me. <laughs> it's the best time that's been for
1: a hell of a long time. Uh, anyway, uh, thank you, uh, Glenn. And uh, the next uh, up will be Al
7: Angus. Thank you, Stuart. A little bit shorter than last time. Yeah, I'm Al Angus. I've been around here for a very long time. I got called a dinosaur at the first one I went to afterwards in the recorded dinosaur. As a dinosaur I am a New Zealander. I live in the Wakatip, No age for me, thank you very much. I'm just quite happy to have the Wakatip, And I I I say it has a silent you actually for us old locals. So I'll you know I'll carry on being a dinosaur as well as all well. So this place here was built in the about the eighties I was working for Domino construction up here. This was one of the ones where they had about six companies. The first one we liquidated, the next one, the next one, the next one, until it went to the master company, and all the contractors got nailed all the way down the street. So we were over here, and they tried it on us, and I trundled the figure down the road here, this was the only way in, and said, Pay up on digging a trench. And they paid up by lunchtime, you know, so I'm hands on, you know, I'm not into this nonsense. Um, and on the bluff behind us here, we had two and a half tons of power towel down about here somewhere, and I was loading fine dirt onto it with a loader, old Fed loader, with no brakes, so it was fairly hairy. <laughs> if it went wrong, I wouldn't be here, you know, it burns up on re entry, but anyway, here I am, you know, God loves um, little children drunk. So, um, yeah, I've had, you know, I've got quite a um, history with, uh, with uh, local things you know, machinery, I was a mechanic in that here, I was a mechanic up at um, remarks when it first opened and whatnot. So yeah, and, you know, me and Glen will never work together, but he's been an engineer and I can operate anything. We could clean that town up in there in about a bloody fortnight what's going on there. A nonsense. <laughs> I've <I> never <coughs> seen more than two people working it and um, the guy told you know a guy a guy that instigated the contracting out in the council here. When they first started doing it 20, 25 years ago, we were getting 90 cents worth of value completed work for our dollar for the ratepayers' dollar. The other day, two months ago, he ran his rule over. We're getting 25 cents in the dollar return for you know completed work. And I put that to a council manager, and he said we'd be pretty lucky to be getting that. So it needs to change. We need to go back and have our own work section, you know, at least two or three parts and a couple of diggers will do. Just to do the maintenance like Bill Swan and um Ray Ratner, Matt Ratner, you've been over a couple of different names. But when you know, when those guys are running around digging out trenches, they could do the wood slip in three days, you know. It takes them that to put the cones up now. It's just like, nuts what's going on. So we need to have a bit of a um, a bit of an awakening, you know. Just, beyond the power. And we need to grow our own staff for the council, which means, sadly, some uh, consultants need to go, and we can afford scholarships to you know, put our own kids through and bring them back into the council and, and, and work for us. You know. The first thing that needs to be done is the terminology. it's not council funds, they took it. You know, it's right payers' funds. I would prefer that we get when they, you know, because it has this magical change, it's unearned all of a sudden they can just throw it away. It needs to be right past funds. I mean, we made it, we earned it, we worked bloody hard for it, and it's just getting frittered away. So at least we could be acknowledged for our contribution. Thank
1: you. Thanks. Uh, you know, once again, uh, the short sort of reminds me the story of the school teacher that said to the kids, What's uh, Gandhi's first name, the little boy, like um, Alan's just sitting down there, said, uh, Goosey Goosey. So uh, <laughs> it's uh, perhaps like the uh, way you have back uh, up things going down. Okay, uh, lucky last, uh, Daniel Shan from Wanaka.
4: A few years ago, my mother died. She got very sick and she was rushed to the hospital. And when she got there, she was given a little bag with a toothbrush, a comb, and some soap. It was a small thing, but she appreciated it. And it was from the Rotary Club. They gave to every new patient at the hospital. And I'd like to thank you for that. It's really meant something. I guess I should introduce myself. My name is Daniel Shand, I'm from a small town south of Taranaki on the North Island. I ran in the last general election. I ran on the representative ticket. I ran as an independent representative for the Waitaki electorate. I'm running now as an independent representative. I believe a representative Should try to represent everyone equally, and they can't do that if they belong to a small group or a political party. I think everyone is equal. I have a traditional view on what a representative should do when elected. I believe a representative should try to find out where the majority of their electorate stand on a particular issue, and then represent that view as accurately as possible in the government. A representative should represent the original meaning of that word. I've, I've been given six months, so I'd like to tell a short story. It's the story of Alexander the Great and Diogenes, and when they met, Alexander was a king in ancient Greece who conquered much of Persia and the known world at the time. And Diogenes was a famous philosopher who lived like a homeless man in a big old wine barrel in a Greek town in the main square. One day Alexander the Great passed through the city with a large procession of people. As he arrived in the town, all the important people came up to the gate to welcome him. After everyone had introduced themselves, Alexander looked around and asked, Where is Diogenes? He always wanted to meet this famous man and was disappointed he had not come to see him. So the next day, Alexander organised to go and see him. He walked through the town and up the hill to where Diogenes lived. Diogenes was lying in front of his wine barrel on his side, sunning himself. And he, he watched this great procession coming up the hill with Alexander at front. Alexander walked up to Diogenes lying on the ground and said, I've heard many stories about you and I wanted to meet you and to ask you if I could give you anything or do anything for you. Just ask and it will be done. Hearing this, Diogenes looked up at him and asked, can you move out of the sun? (laughs) Alexander looked shocked and amazed and slightly impressed and laughed. And he looked around at his men and said, if I was not Alexander the Great, I would wish to be Diogenes. Diogenes hearing this said, if I was not Diogenes, I would wish to be Diogenes. <laughs> it's an old Greek story, it's history. The story can be seen as a simile. It shows that a wise government or leader should be able to recognize the importance and beauty of allowing others to hold authority over themselves. A wise and respectful government allows people to govern themselves, at least on some issues, and that includes the views of the public that's elected to represent when representing them. Another another note on Diogenes. Bajanese was often seen walking the street at night holding a lantern and whenever asked what he was doing he would say I'm just looking for an honest man or I'm still looking for an honest man and perhaps this is another simile that can be taken into politics that we might be able to find an honest man or woman (laughs)
1: Heard all of the candidates. Uh, this is your meeting, your opportunity now uh, to ask uh, questions. Um, could you please raise your hand when you want to uh, ask a question and stand up and address uh, whichever candidate uh, uh, that it is that you wish to answer, or if uh, there's more than one candidate that you require the answer from? Ladies, first over here, uh, Ernest, so uh, you're number one.
2: I'd like to ask all the candidates in a hundred minutes or the for them to explain how they are going to fit in the time to be the media into their lifestyle. Okay. Do you want a quick cast the mic? Off? Yeah, I might do that. Too. Yeah, just take the mic off there and my hands around. Thank you, that's actually an excellent question, especially if you're a mom and if you've got your business. Um, this is what I do up with, that when you love something, you will find your time to do it, you prioritise it. Um, the love, and uh, I can, uh, we can speak for everyone, the reason we have put our names in is because we do belong to this community, and we love this community. I can definitely say that about myself. Um, how do you find the time? Like I said, you put that as a priority and um, and, and things will happen. You just have to know what's important to you.
7: Oh, I'm, I just recently retired, so I have less time than I ever had actually, but I've got time to do this. Um, I think I, try, I actually tried to get a handle on how many hours a week Bolt was doing, and they absolutely refused to answer. I, the answer I got from Tehrling was, he is on call 24-7, nobody is. So, you know, I don't know how many hours it is. The government expects you to do 40 hours, and you can do that easy. Yep.
6: Uh, Full-time for me, so I'll be sitting down as a structural engineer, sitting down from all, the, uh, from all the boards I'm on, the uh, one little uh, thing I will keep is I still want to coach the G great so I'll stick with it.
4: Uh, if elected, I would, I would give it my uh, carpentry career, I'll put it on hold, and full time into it.
2: Uh, it would be a great
4: to be.
5: no doubt that this is a full-time role, you're paid for a full-time role, and I will absolutely be working full-time. It's an unusual role because it's actually 365 days a year really, because there's events at all different times. I'm really lucky to have such wonderful support from my husband who's wonderful with our kids, so I will be free to be able to do any of of the things that I need to, but um, yeah, it it, it is. And I'm taking campaigning so seriously that I've stepped right back from my role, and only do very few hours a week. So, yeah, so I'm basically working full-time campaigning early. Thank
3: you. Yeah, as I mentioned earlier, I've worked in local government, or with local government in eight different countries. I've seen some really good examples of mayors and chief executives uh, and the councils around them, and some that you wouldn't want to model your behaviour on Uh, The mayor's role is very demanding. I've got numerous roles at the moment, so I'm one of the the directors of response and recovery Aotearoa New Zealand. I'm on the board of Shaping Our Future here in Queenstown Lakes. Uh, I have a very much more than full-time job that I work mostly remotely from here for uh, massive University in Wellington. Most of that I would step back from, and we had a meeting yesterday, Shaping Our Future, how that might look if I'm fortunate enough to be elected. But one of the roles in leadership in the local government is ensuring that we delegate. No one can work 365 days a year, um, or 24-7. We need to make sure that 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 load is shared. I I intend to have a very strong and effective deputy mayor who can pick up the load if I'm not available, and we'll share that. And I intend to have a shared approach across council so that we have people who are passionate about things that they are good at stepping up and doing those things too. But I'll be more than full-time.
1: Thank you to all six of you for answering that question. Uh, David, a question? Just ask the candidates that are up, uh, not
4: standing for the council and understanding the parity, how they rationalise that decision to to not stand for the council.
3: Or what? Why?
6: Because I'm a current councillor in the last let's say eight months the workload for a councillor has probably increased fivefold, probably even more. So existing candidates, you're in for a treat. Um I felt as the over the last year in my instructional engineering business I was leading my clients down, but I was also leading the people of Queensgate makes down because I couldn't give 100% either way. So when I make this, when I made the decision to run the murielty, I was full, fully committed to run for the because I felt that I couldn't fully commit to being a councillor. Thanks, Glenn. Yeah, I have to search my for
3: quite a bit about making that decision too, actually because we do need really good people on council uh, and many joined quite late in the piece, which is great, and I've been talking to a lot of them. So I'm quite confident that we're going to have a very strong and progressive council for the next three years. My speciality is leading teams of teams in stressful situations. The context we have at Queenstown Lakes is one of those situations. I think my capabilities and my connections across government probably who would be best be served bringing that team together as a leader of that team, building a team of leaders.
2: Oh, sorry. You are running
5: $5, so basically, I'm really passionate about economic diversification, and the reason why I'm running for mayor is because I want to amplify that and continue the work that I've been doing. If I can't do that, then I'll continue on my current role, which is basically full-time. So it just it doesn't make sense for me, and I'm the leader, and that's it's that simple. Thank you. Bluntly,
7: because I haven't met anybody yet that I'd be willing to take direction from.
2: <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: that's, that's your entire life. Right? Yeah. Yeah. We'll
1: just, we'll just well, ask age, you yeah. what? <laughs> Okay, thank you. Who has the next question? Have they all satisfied you with the answers that they have given you? Okay?
4: Yep. Um, Can we get oh, I hang uh, on, oh, the back. Yeah, I'll come to you next. The candidates' opinion on the proposal of the tariff
3: airport <laughs> for the near future. Oh, good question. Who wants to take the lead on that? Yeah.
5: <laughs> Great question. I'm strongly opposed to the tariff airport. And you know why? Because I listen to the community and I can survey hundreds of people. And do you know how many people want more tourists than 2019 levels? 2%, 2% of people want more tourists. So the last thing I'm going to be supporting is an airport at Terrace. And if there's going to be an airport, it's going to be for the benefit of the Queenstown Lakes ratepayers, not Christchurch. So firm no for that one, thank you.
4: Uh, I'm also running for a councillor in the Upper Clotho and Warnoka district, so I would want, it would have been really nice to see some real public consultation before the, pro, in the process of the decision being made, and uh, I don't think we really had that, so I would have, I'd like to go around and actually talk to the constituents and see what they wanted, and then side with the majority on that. Thanks.
6: Uh, no, it's to ecological disaster. I'm still trying to get my head around and base a long haul airport on eight weeks of cherries. So no, it's a no for me. It's a no for me as well. We've um, got a perfectly good airport in uh, Queenstown and I don't think we need to invest in an
2: airport that's not going to benefit Queenstown. And just on that note, this is exactly the kind of piecemeal development that you see, um, which is developing green fields before developing our urban centres, our town centres. I want to see more land use strategies that will uh, probably concentrate more on what we've already got, rather than looking at something that should stay green. Yeah,
7: I'm not a fan of the terrace must either, I must admit. Um, I, you know, it, it's sole purpose is to force feed mass tourism into Wanaka and no overflow out our way. So, uh, the airport seemed to be a, a reasonably sneaky entity, the whole world of carrying on. I, I do wonder about the Wanaka lease. It's an illegal document, but there's no criminals. It must be the only place there's been something illegal going on and no one's arrested. You know, I believe our airport here, just sidestepping a little bit, the hours should not be extended and we should have the flexibility to reduce them if we start to get, you know, absolutely swamped.
3: Thank you. Yeah, I fail to see how terrorists Airport actually stacks up uh, yeah. for a whole lot of reasons, really. But, you know, I've been involved in, in government and local government for quite a while. Thankfully, any decisions about that development, if it, if it does happen, will either be made by Central target District Council where it sits, so it's not something we have direct influence over, or I think it'd probably be called in by the Minister of the Environment because it would be so important because there are so many dependencies for it to work. So I, I don't think it's something we need to worry too much about. I think to some extent, Christchurch Airport is gaining the context, in the economic context, and trying to dissuade Queenstown Airport from expanding so that Christchurch Airport which can easily double its capacity, could meet all the need. But from a government's perspective, we have to be very careful as mayoral candidates in making very strong statements, as some of the candidates have done here tonight and in other venues, when we might have to be involved in making decisions about those, and that's predetermination, so we have to be careful about that. Thank
1: you all. uh,
2: the area is growing in population we are in health we are rural under the the whole of New Zealand we are rural we're not even a town what are you going to do to help promote a public
5: hospital for central otargo's which is needed before any more growth comes into place. Whoever wants to speak, please do. Yeah. Right. It's crazy, isn't it? It's actually madness. And this is why we need a man who is going to advocate for our region. And I have been flying up to Wellington and going to the Beehive and banging down the door of ministers to get help that we need, and so advocating for our region, whether it's the right visa settings, uh, there's been a lot of different things I've been working on. But you're right, the hospital one is a massive one, and this is actually something I've been speaking to our local MP about since, since he was elected. We had a horrible experience. Our son last year, when he was two, he got proof and he stopped breathing, and we had to be evacuated by an ICU team to Teneden. We had to wait for 45 minutes for an ICU team to come here, and then another 45 minutes back, when your child's not breathing, that's something that it just, nobody should have to experience. I think that we have really substandard healthcare care here, and it's not good enough. So I will advocate hard for that, I promise you that.
3: The, yeah, the previous, Model we had in place, which was a per capita model funding for health, didn't work well for us, particularly because of the visitor population we had here as well. And I know that intimately. <laughs> My wife's an emergency nurse and she spent three years working in the hospital here before uh, she moved back to Wellington, where she's now working at Wellington Regional Hospital. I've been involved in health planning for the last 20 years on and off, usually for emergencies, including pandemics. Uh, we need to do it much better here. But to do that, we need to work in collaboration, probably with Central Otago, as you mentioned, to come up with a range of services that are community and hospital-based that are better than we have at the moment. We certainly need better maternity services on this side of the hill. Wanaka's getting better services, so is Alexandra We need to have that better. But we need to work together constructively with our partners and with whichever government is in place to make sure that we get a deal for our communities in the future. So it's advocacy,
6: and uh, what you'll get from me is a strong advocate for public health here. I am um, not going to say a bad word about our health professionals here, they do a wonderful job. It's just that the facilities that they have are uh, not meeting the needs of us, nor the staff that are here. And I think that's the very first thing we've got to look at, is actually providing them the infrastructure so they can do their best work for us. And that's what I want to do. Um, yeah, so those are exactly the kind of things that we need for our community. I remember when I was pregnant with
2: mine, uh, daughter, I had to go to Dunedin for three months uh, just because I was under observation. So I had to leave my son here while I was in Dunedin for three months. And my son was seven at that time. Um, and I was just talking to Glenn uh, just before this, and I said to him, it breaks my heart to see how young moms have to cope to get a uh, doctor's appointment with a preferred doctor, but they don't get it. And especially, and like Olivia said, you, don't, you just can't see a child suffer like that. Um, so definitely those kind of services is what we need and what we deserve. Um, and I think we all want it. So it's just a matter of making council listen and getting out those services.
7: Uh, yeah, I was in the Arrowtown Young Farmers and we raised a huge amount of money for this hospital out here way, way, way back in the day and the Presbyterian support services, so I'll be, you know, We've done the work to, to get it, and, and what we've got now is not so good. Um, I've, I've been in there with somebody waiting, it, it was in a lot of pain but not bleeding, you know, and pre-Covid. And there was a stream of Australians coming through actually, nearly all Australians, with a little bit of blood or a sore ear or some damn thing up. All reeking a booze, you know, they're standing up talking, they should have been sitting down listening. they got nailed, and out there there's people that were personally, I think, Kevans should get first go, you know, actually. But then today, a good friend of mine um, got bounced from the hospital out to the new thing for a a scan, 600 bucks, you know. It's just a lot of people haven't got that just in their back pocket to pay off, you know. So we need the hospital service needs to be better one way or another. I mean, Derek, years ago, was trying to um, bring in a... um, a scanner or uh, x ray machine or something from the States, you know, and, and got turned away when the, when the people were offering to help let them. Do you think Derek was just turned away
1: because he was Derek? <laughs> 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 oh, 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 really. We love Derek.
5: <laughs>
1: uh, Daniel, what have you had um, An I, I came across
4: this question in the general election. The YTP has a lot of really small. To and uh, I mean, look, Queenstown is definitely not the small town, so it really obviously should have, and it would probably actually help Cromwell and Wanaka to have a real hospital there. So I would push for that. Thank
2: you.
1: Any further questions? Thanks. Yes. I love you, back.
3: your appetite for pushing for a tourist tax? I'm I'm really concerned about where we're at with that. The legislation hasn't even been drafted yet, but the long-term planning for the Council expects that that will come along. Uh, What we need to do is ask some hard questions about can the tourism economy, the hospitality sector in particular, afford that at present, you know, with where tourism is at. We need to do some better analysis of where that's going. Um, big taxes work in countries and towns all over the world. We need to learn from that, but I think we need to ask some hard questions. We need to also ask some hard questions, though, about what we're spending the money on. We've got some big projects in the pipeline that were designed something 20 years ago first thought of. We've got a different community now. We need to think differently about how we do that, and much of that we need to do it more efficiently so it's going to meet the needs of the communities into the future. We don't need to necessarily hold a memorial centre and replace it with something we can't afford in the interim.
5: Just adding on to that, I agree with what John says about we need to look about where the money is going. And I think that it's something that I found find outrageous is this is what the council's plans are. I met with Jim Bold a few months ago and I asked him what important legacy he'd like to see continue. And he said he'd like to see Project Manawa continue. Now this is something the council's been working on. He said that the council workers deserve a beautiful place to work in, in the CBD. So they want to use prime land and spend tens of millions of our dollars on a vanity project. Absolutely not, I think that is disgraceful. So I will not let that kind of spending happen because ratepayers should not have to pay for that kind of rubbish. If I'm here, I will be pushing hard to move officers out to council, get 200 cars out of the parking, the CBD, free it up. We should not have council workers taken up. You go to Church Street and half the parts are taken up by council cars. So we need to move them to Brampton, get the best value for ratepayers' money, and that's what we need to do. Spend carefully. Thank you.
4: Uh, I think that's a really interesting idea but I'd have to consult with my constituency before I took the position on it
6: oh, Terrace tax, yes Terrace tax, yes, it is If the actual legislation is written it just hasn't been put up by the local member, so the CE has actually now become a It's quasi-IRD under the proposed bill. Um, Where our rates go is a very hard decision to make when you're in council, and we have external factors that we have to pay for, depreciation, and there's another one that's looming that will increase our rates quite substantially, and we are fighting against it right now.
2: Common sense, like why haven't we already done that? But that's typical of what's happening with council. It takes so long for them to actually make a decision, and just from what I hear now, it hasn't even passed the council. So, yes, 100% we should look at those kind of things rather than looking at increasing rates for residents. Thank you.
7: Yeah, I'm a fan of the tourist tax. I, I am. I'll avoid somewhere that charges me to spend my money. You know, it's just something that doesn't really go with my dinosaur outlook. So, um, yeah, no, I'm not. I'm not for it. I think council can um, trim its belt considerably. I heard it said a while ago that this lot could give Fonterra milking lessons, and we really need to shame it back.
4: Yeah,
1: nice job, yeah. yep. <laughs> yes, if any of the candidates were elected mayor, what strategy would you adopt to alleviate the traffic congestion over
4: the Shotover River, particularly in light of what the proposed increases of the development on the north side of the ladies' mile?
1: We'll start at the other end this time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so Al, you can go you can go first.
7: Well, will have to start my loader up and push a track through, really. Um, yeah, a lot of bridge. Yeah, yeah well, the practical thing is to come in at um, Alex Robbins Road down there at the bottom of Lake Hayes, mm-hmm. around there, a bridge across into Dai, the airport and another one across to the bottom of the Remarks. That, that in a perfect world. That's how it should be. So we can bypass and flow them back and forth and what have you. And, and let our road start to work. When I come here, that was, I was talking to somebody earlier, there was 100 k down there. Nobody did it, we are on 140, you know, we used to clear that road in minutes. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, now we're getting slowed down, we're treated like being kids. You know, there's no grown-ups around, so we... But, yeah, you're dead right? it, it is just an absolute gut ache coming down there in, um, you know, in the rush hours. So there needs to be a, um, a real bull by the horns concept put up there and, and run Because And a whole lot of traffic lights are not going to do it.
2: Mm. So it used to take me 15 minutes to drop my son off to school. It takes me about 40 minutes. I carry work in my car, just in case I'm early. Then I sit in my car and do my work. Um, Normally, I'm actually just two minutes before um, to pick up my daughter. Um, I still don't understand the rationality about all the development that happens, but there's no onus on whether there's accessibility. We still are depending on that one road but the development doesn't stop. So I don't know where the prudence is coming from. And um, quite clearly the community talks about it all the time, but it just seems like council isn't even listening. So we do need that kind of leadership and that's why we need that community voice because what you say resonates with with most people from the community.
6: So one way is actually putting those facilities that you actually go to on that side of the bridge and that's why that development includes uh, areas for schools, for commercial areas, and uh, retail areas, so you don't actually have to go over the bridge. But the bigger picture, and I've only got a month uh, a minute, is 7,000 to 9,000 traffic movements actually originate from Cromwell and from Wanaka. So the same things actually have to happen there. The housing has to be coupled with employment opportunities so you don't have to travel.
4: I'd probably go on with Al on that one. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, 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 and a few others, actually. I think the, the role in council is that they work as a team, and there are a lot of good ideas there and I'd probably accept a few of them. I'll tell you what's not going to fix the problem. It's the 16 set of traffic lights this government
5: wants to put along oh. Frankton Road and- <laughs> madness and this is exactly why we need to keep this government out of local decision making and this is what I'm so worried about at the moment. So there's lots of people that are working on some great projects. Uh, There's um, Hydrofoil Electric ferry that's looking at connecting our lake, using our lake better. We've got this great way of transporting that we need to be looking at. There's another group that's getting gondolas that already have gondolas, a company that does gondolas in Google Campus is going to set them up here, so we can connect, shot over, across the river, around the deep bend and over to that part. So we just need to think creatively. Um, And cycleways as well. I'm really passionate about getting just more connectivity across the whole region. And a project that I'm involved with, and this is going to happen, is a cycleway from here to Kingston. So just connecting those, imagine that as as a ride, it would just be incredible. So we just need to be encouraging Just
3: more connectivity across the region. Thank you. Yeah, we have some real challenges in this in this part of the world because of the rapid growth that we've been experiencing. That that hasn't been all well planned for or managed, and the cost of infrastructure is huge, putting that on the ratepayer. So we need to have a different approach. Suggesting that the government imposing traffic lights is interesting. Waka manages our highways. The government actually, as such, has little to do with it. It's an agency that's um, responsible for that. You can have a debate about it if you like, this um, That's fine. So, but we are essentially a small city now, and one of the things that comes with that is effective traffic management. We probably need a few traffic lights in key places. 16 sets them, probably not. But what we can do is have much more affordable, um, and efficient, small scale public transport on those routes so that we can get people moving quickly and out of their cars. We can get that happening within months of the new council. <laughs> sorry, I know you're around right there, sorry. <laughs> no, not quite, uh, John. Time for the last question. John. Well, Who? John. Well, mine's actually
1: hardly been answered.
5: It's about um, public transport. Because given that
3: you guys actually don't aren't responsible for public transport in Queenstown, which I think is completely bizarre, but there you go. Given that you're actually not, and you have to deal with the ORC and actually persuade them to spend money, what do you think is a practical thing to do to make our public transport better than it is because we're all supposed to be
6: using it? And either or any of you can answer that. Whoever wants to.
1: We'll start in the middle of the start. (laughs) So
6: the legislation's now changed. The district councils can now take over public transport. Now, the question is, do we want to? Now, economies of scale between us and Canadian would probably tell me no, because there's synergies there where contract costs and administrative costs are less. But the actual cold face of actually making decisions on where and when uh, public transport routes happen and, and go should be at the district council level, and I'm a great believer in it. To make public transport, more effective, I'm looking towards Timaru and Roman Canterbury's trial at the moment. On-demand public transport, um, it's a very interesting concept where the public transport actually meets the needs of the user. The user doesn't have to follow the PT schedule. So that is a big improvement and a big opportunity there that I'd like to see come to Prince down in Wanaka.
2: So I believe that council needs to explore um, whether we can in, you know, invest in public transport. Um, I don't know, maybe all of the mayoral candidates got asked this question in the mountain scene, but it was, um, if all of us did want to take it, would you as mayor support that? And I'm like, yes, of course you would. Um, I don't know how much the council has done in terms of getting public transport, and I do know that the Regional Policy Statement allows for district plans to stipulate their rules for the district, um, we must explore all of these things. We can't just keep saying, you know, uh, oh, it's a uh, regional council thing or we can't afford to do it. We need to be talking about this actively I just feel like the committee hasn't been engaged. That discord that we're talking about has been there for a long time and the people are asking but I just don't feel like the council has been attentive in giving those answers.
7: Right, so uh, I've got a long way to go home. I uh, drive a stinking old diesel truck and I don't care. But anyway, the, the public <laughs> transport, the first thing we need to do is put the race up to $5 a truck. You know, 2 bucks to run around here on, on my checkbook. I'm not appreciating it much. It needs to go up. We're paying about $2 million in it. Oh, this council or that council, no, not. It's the taxpayers and the ratepayers. It's us that's paying the damn thing. So we need to, um, and it's in free fall, You know, it really is. There's less and less people going on it. And I was talking to a bus driver the other day. Done you know, a ten-hour shift, picked up 20 people from Kelvin Heights. You know, that's just nuts. You know, it, we, it, there must be a better way. So, you know, and we're hearing all these other things about bicycles. I was riding around Queensland. No bike stands. Everyone's got to ride a bike, but there's no way to put your bike when you get to Queenstown, you know? Just all this simple stuff that can be taken care of easily. We should have smaller, um, you know, high-ace, mini-type vans with they have got to have wheelchair access, so we, we should be running these wee ones out there with 10 people up. I don't
4: know if I should comment, but if feel like I would have a lot more time to explore <laughs>
5: we need to be, be thinking outside the box and technology is going to be the answer so the hydrofoil ferries, they can get from here to kingston in 15 minutes because they cut through the weight so they're super the fuel efficient so technology is going to be the answer john here would say that automotive vehicles aren't going to happen for another 10 years but the news is it's actually happening already and I've been in discussions with a group who want to bring some German engineered uh, automotive vehicles here, they're doing a test run, it's starting at the airport next year. This is a reality, it's happening and within two years we might be able to see them on our roads. So now there's lightweight uh, little bubble cars that can fit four people and they can take a bike. And I mean it's these things like this, that and the high tech gondolas that can turn corners. We're gonna see some really neat our technology solutions that use all
3: sort of aspects, the lakes, the mountains, we can really use our, we don't have to be on the roads anymore. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I was talking to some of my Ministry of Transport colleagues in Wellington last week about autonomous vehicles. And if you go to the um, Ministry of Transport website, you'll see the policy on autonomous vehicles at the moment. They don't intend to like, they don't intend to license autonomous vehicles on open roads in New Zealand for probably the next 10 years because they want to make sure that it's safe. We've got too many deregulated to um, parts of our economy over the last 30 years which have resulted in really bad outcomes. So we need to do that smartly and, and use current technology. So yes, using small, ideally e-busses, into our communities, feeding into a smart um, mainline service between Lake Hayes and into Queenstown. We can do it with the road infrastructure that's there. There's largely provision for it on that at painted island in the middle of the roads. We can do most of that, and we can do it quickly, and we can do it affordably, unless you want to pay percent more rates. Thank you. Thank
1: you. Actually, unless somebody's got an urgent question, which I suspect you have not, uh, because you've had plenty of opportunity now to uh, ask any questions. Thank you for your attendance. Queensland Rotary enjoyed putting this night on, I believe they have anyway. Um, and uh, uh, thank you again for your attendance. Thank you very much uh, to all the candidates. I believe this is the first time that you've all six been together. And uh, it's good uh, that you were were all prepared to to turn up. Uh, I wish you uh, all the best uh, at uh, polling time. Uh, There's no sense in saying, uh, well, um, yeah, uh, it's uh, an awkward situation, isn't it? I'm wishing you, on behalf of Rotary, all all the very best, but only one of you are going to win. We don't need six metres. This concludes the evening, and thank you for your